morning, everybody. It's lit. All right, so before we start, this is really the end of an era for us here at Calvary Plantation. It has been a blessing for them to open their house to us when we were variably homeless in many ways. And so before I start, I'll pray twice, that's fine. I just want to say a quick prayer just for Calvary Plantation and this house and the blessing they've been for us. So join me as we pray. Jesus, bless this house. God, you've seen how they've opened their doors to us, how they've been flexible and how they've been kind and gracious to us. God bless their going out and their coming in. Any endeavors that they're doing, any plans that they have, walk with the pastor, walk with the staff. God, enlarge the bounds of the territory of this ministry. Because God, you said, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes. Jesus, for us, when we had nowhere to go, they opened their house to us. See that, bless that, and enlarge all the things that they do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Calvary Plantation. My name is Malik Murray. I'm one of the pastors here at Greenhouse Church, and we are wrapping up our Leadership Challenge series today, right? And so usually, when the preacher starts, they read their text first. However, the last time we saw our heroes in the book of Nehemiah was in chapter 8, and we are in chapter 13 today. So let's catch us up. Let's, let's, let's get up to speed really quickly. Chapter, I, I wrote a sentence for every chapter from 9 to 13. Here it is. Chapter 9. Their hearts are touched and the entire nation confesses their sins. Chapter 10. They promise to never ever do it again. Chapter 11. Everyone starts to fix all the problems and they get everything in order. They fix everything and the nation's back on track. Chapter 12. They celebrate new reforms and commitments. 1243 says they throw a big party and everybody's excited. The walls are back up, Jerusalem's back together, the nation is back. And where we are in chapter 13 today, they wander. The walls are up and nobody's worshiping God anymore. And if you grew up in church like me, it reminds me of the roller coaster of being a teen in church, where we have these, I'll never do it again moments, and then I do it again. And I have these, and so my solution today and my thought today is to kind of help us find the remedy to roller coaster Christianity. Right, and so that takes us to our text today. If you would stand with me, please, in the reading for the reading of God's word. Thank you. We are in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 14. That's Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 14. And it says this, remember me for this, my God, and don't erase the deeds of faithful love I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Let's pray and let's hop in the text. Jesus, help us to see you today. God, hide me behind the cross. God, who I am is of no effect. But let everyone hear the voice of God with power and strength. Convict our hearts in the way that this sermon has convicted mind. Help us to look like you. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. You can have your seats online. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's hop into Nehemiah chapter 13. So, our first point, if you're taking notes, it'll pop up on the screen here, it's simple. Great leaders recalibrate. So, as we're doing this leadership series, one thing we have attempted to make clear is everyone is a leader. Whether you're leading a student ministry, whether you're leading a family, whether you're leading cousins and siblings, or if you're just leading yourself, everyone is a leader. So, as the leader that you are, you have to learn how to 
recalibrate, right? So Nehemiah, in, in chapter 13, verse 6, he says, he was gone from Jerusalem for a period of time. The period of time, as scholars have estimated, is anywhere between 10 and 12 years, right? And so if we backtrack, Nehemiah gets the walls rebuilt. Nehemiah deals with haters. It gets so serious that after building the wall, they have to have a sword by their side just in case anybody sneaks up and tries to do anything a little funny. So they keep that thing on them, and they're like, okay, if, any, if they sneak up, we got this. That's all that's going on. And so in chapter 13, Nehemiah has to go away. Ne you know, I'm pretty sure Nehemiah feels good, like a lot of us do when we fix a problem. Right? You fix a problem, and you're like, oh, it's good, and I'm fine, and I'm dandy. So like if, I, if your house has a leak in the pipe, and somebody comes and they fix that leak, that night when you go to bed, you feel a little relief. But Nehemiah wakes up to what a lot of us wake up to when we pay someone to do a job. The floor is wet. They didn't fix the leak, and you went to bed happy only to wake up a little bit more frustrated than you were the day before. So Nehemiah gets back, and Nehemiah is extremely frustrated, right? So Nehemiah comes back, and he has to recalibrate everything. All the work that he's done from chapters 1 through 12, with excuse, except for the wall, everything has to get rebuilt. The people have to be taught to worship God again. The people have to be taught to cherish their relationship with God again. And Nehemiah has to go and he has to fix all of the stuff that he has already fixed. Great leaders recalibrate. When Nehemiah shows up, he doesn't immediately lose it. He doesn't immediately crumple. He doesn't immediately see all the things that have to be done and give up. What Nehemiah does is something we can learn as he steps into action. Nehemiah shows up and he's like, okay, let's get all this fixed. And he spends the beginning part of chapter 13 fixing everything. So, you know, a couple weeks ago we said great leaders build teams. Nehemiah rebuilt all those teams. He put everybody back on their jobs. He recaps the entire story of Nehemiah in chapter 13 once again because people dropped the ball. Great leaders recalibrate. In our families, this is something that we have had to learn to do. As, you know, they're, they're, everyone has a family member, a sibling, a relative, who is a little bit more tumultuous to deal with than a couple other people. And we've learned to recalibrate those relationships. And we learn it because it's not like after the first argument, after the first blow up, after everybody hugs and we kiss and it, and it stops. No, it happens again. And in our families, we have to learn to recalibrate these relationships. So the first point, and if you're taking notes, the first point that we had is great leaders recalibrate. If you hop down to the second point, this is really the one that hits me. It says great leaders live from God's perspective. See, there is something that we have to realize, and it is no matter what we do, no matter how hard we do it, we are doing it for and through God. Nehemiah in in the verse we read, he recognizes this. After everything is messed up and he has to repair everything that he fixed, I'm pretty sure he could have felt like a failure as a leader. I feel like in that moment he could have been like, I, I, put, I put together all this work. He took time off from his actual job. He had to call in favors. He had to deal with, uh, with enemies. He had to do all this stuff. And now Nehemiah faces it as a leader and is like, oh, I tried. That's what Nehemiah is left with. At the end of this, he's left with an I tried moment. But like we read earlier, Nehemiah lives from God's perspective. So what does he do? He says, God, remember what I did. If everyone else forgets, 
remember the effort that I put in for you. If, if, if Nehemiah has to leave again for another 10 years and he shows back up and the walls are gone and there's nothing left, Nehemiah says, God, this was for you. Remember me. As I lead myself, this has been a principle I've tried to live by. Right? So if you look at Colossians 3, 23 to 24, it says this, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do it for Jesus, right? Those are, those are our great Christian cliches that, you know, it's a Bible verse where we turn it into something different. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. You know, only what you do for Christ will last. Do it for Jesus. Put a smile on your face. Treasures in heaven. All of these great and wonderful things. Here's the issue. This, to me, isn't the problem. To me, it's, the, it's finding out what I'm doing for the Lord and what I'm doing for myself. Right? And so, if you're going to live from God's perspective, sure realize that he rewards. And sure realize that everything you do is for him. But also realize you've got to take care of yourself. Why are we doing the things we do? Right? And so, a bit of a moment of transparency. I'm a workaholic. Anybody who has not worked with me before does not know this. But I'm a workaholic. So much so that as I'm getting ready for the sermon and we're getting ready to head back to Worthton High School and we're all excited for all these things, I realized that I've been working, I think that day I had probably worked, it might have been like noon and I had probably worked eight hours already. And so in order to live from God's perspective, I just lay on the floor at my office at the hub and I said, I'm gonna put, I put my headphones on and I, and I close my eyes and I'm like, God, I'm not gonna stop working unless I'm off my feet. So I literally take myself off my feet. Pastor Robert walks in the office, and he is the most confused he has ever been. Imagine walking in a pastor's office, and he's just laying on the floor on his back with a couch cushion behind his head. Pastor Robert's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I just, I have to stop myself from working. <laughs> you see, I'm a workaholic because I don't, I don't live from God's perspective with my work. It's why I don't like group projects. I don't like group projects because the second the group has my name in it, it needs to be perfect because it has my name in it. And so it has to reflect good on me. You see, the issue is I want my work to reflect positively on me. I like it, you know, my arrogance, my pride, my self-righteousness. I work so hard so that somebody can say, Malik did a good job. Malik is a hard worker, right? So that's me. But a lot of us outside of ministry roles we have this hustle hard, grind hard mentality, right? Where we don't take breaks. We don't see our families. We don't see our friends because we got to give money. We got to secure the bag. The verse I have that really hit me this week is Proverbs 23.4. Proverbs 23.4 says, do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Proverbs says, stop working so hard to be rich. Other translations say, you know better, stop. You see, when you don't live from God's perspective, the riches that you accumulate from your work define your worth. When you don't live from God's perspective, people's praise defines your worth. And so when we look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah has failed by all intents and purposes. He led people to God and they went away. 
He rebuilt a nation and they wandered away. But he has failed. This is not a good ending to the book of Nehemiah. But he does what we all need to do at the end of our work. And whether we are working to accumulate resources just to live, sure. But if we are breaking our backs so that we can have one extra comma in our bank accounts, I will say it because John said it so I can say it. It's sin. Point blank, period. But if you're doing it so people can give you applause, if you're doing it so you can get pats on the back, it's sin. Because when you don't live from God's perspective, you don't bow at the altar of Jesus Christ. You bow at the altar of opinions. You bow at the altar of funds. You bow at the altar of self-praise, of arrogance, and of pride. When you don't live from God's perspective, you end up like me. You end up needing to literally lay on the floor of your office because you can't stop working. Live from God's perspective. And some of us, you know, we, we over-spiritualize it. We say, oh, Brother Malik, oh, Pastor Malik, I'm doing it for the Lord. He sees it and he's rewarding me and I'm going to get riches in heaven. I've lived and served God long enough to know that we can't fool him. Take a moment with me and let's be real. Let's be real for one second. Examine your motives for why you work so hard for the Lord. Why you haven't taken a break from leading or serving for the Lord. Why? It's because at the end of the day, there is something else driving your work and your worth. If you want to succeed, if you want to lead yourself well, you will have to lead from God's perspective. So how do you know you're leading and living from God's perspective? Malik, how do I know I'm not pleasing myself? Here's, here's, here's the line, here's the line that God gave me, and here it is. The ultimate judge of your work and worth is God. He sees and he remembers. Whatever it is that will add value to your life, and it is outside of God, he won't see and he won't remember. Well, he'll see it, but not as he looks down lovingly. He'll see it with a wrathful eye because he realizes that you are bowing to an altar that does not have his name on it. When you live from God's perspective, you can say, God, remember me. God, the situation didn't turn out how I thought it would, but remember me. God, you know, we tried to sit down as a family and we tried to mend some bridges and that blew up. But God, remember me. But see, you see, when you live from God's perspective, success doesn't matter. What people call success doesn't matter. If, if it doesn't add up, if it doesn't, if it doesn't increase, if it doesn't multiply how you would decide it should, when you live from God's perspective, doing it for him was all you wanted to do in the first place. And so whatever comes, when you live from God's perspective, I can sit back at the end of the day and I can now say the ultimate judge of my work and worth is God. He sees and he remembers. Taking notes, if you're taking notes, here's the, the third point, the point that all leaders realize eventually, great leaders can't fix everything. <laughs> Anyone who's ever led, if you've led children, you've realized you cannot fix everything. This is a hard lesson to learn. It's the lesson that Nehemiah learns. He fixes everything, at least he assumes he does. And he leaves for 10 to 12 years to go back to work. If you don't remember the story, here's a little recap. Nehemiah gets time off from his job 
to go work on his passion project while being paid by his job, and then eventually they call him back. Eventually the job's like, all right, you got to come back. We have some issues. We need your help. And he leaves, and then when he doesn't make it back to Jerusalem, like we said earlier, everything is in shambles. You see, because the issue of leadership and the issue we will all run into eventually is the fact that the issue is people's hearts. It's not the walls in the city. It's not all the external things. The issue is people's hearts. And no matter how good your leader is and no matter how good you lead yourself, you cannot fix the issue on the inside of you. See, because we're prone to wander. We're prone to forget. We're prone to leave God. We're prone to what the church world would call backsliding. We're prone to taking a couple steps back because it is just in our nature. We always start projects. We always start the year with New Year's resolutions. And by February, half of them are gone. By February, we paid for a gym membership we never used. We bought a journal and we never used it. We wanted to plan our days. We wanted to have everything scheduled. And now the journal's on your shelf collecting dust. All the days you've blocked out have been thrown away. The people you wanted to connect with have not been connected with. Because everything that we attempt to do in and of ourselves cannot get done. Because we have an issue with commitment. We have an issue because we're prone to wander. We're prone to forget. Nehemiah tried his best. <laughs> he lived from God's perspective and he wanted everything to work. He wanted everything to be fixed. And at the end of it, he says the phrase, God remember me four times in this one chapter. He looks around the people that he's tried to lead and he says, God remember me. Because he's realized that the situation wasn't fixed. That his efforts, as beautiful as they were, did not solve the people's problem. So he has to say, God, remember me. Personal example, over the last decade or so that I've been in ministry in all various sorts of contexts, the greatest lesson I learned is that it wasn't my job to fix people. It wasn't my job to fix anybody because, quite frankly, I can't fix myself. And so a lot of us live lives attempting to correct everybody else, and we realize that we can't even correct ourselves. So I couldn't fix my own self-righteousness. I couldn't fix my own pride. I couldn't fix my own arrogance. But I worked every day in churches and youth camps attempting to get everybody to fix themselves. It's impossible. If you never hear me speak again, you cannot fix yourself. They cannot fix themselves. Humanity has tried it. Look at all the beautiful inventions we have. You know, people always look back and they're like, you know, we thought with all this technology, we would have fixed a lot of these problems by now. We thought we could have stopped all of these issues by now. These issues cannot get fixed unless we lead them. We leave them to the leader who has already fixed everything. So the point that I'm at now and the point that I'm at in life now is I've realized that I can't fix anything. And so a lot of us, as we've attempted to fix things, have kind of sort of pushed Jesus to the wayside. We pushed him out of his place as the fixer, and we've said, it's okay, God, I've got this. And we've stepped in and we've attempted to fight a battle that wasn't ours to fight from the beginning. We've attempted to fix things that were so broken that we couldn't fix them, and God's behind us, and he's like, I can fix it. He's like, no, 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 you're tired, Jesus. That cross was a lot of work. You're tired. You have to keep everything going in America, and you're tired, God, I got this. And we try to fix it. And God's like, no, I got it. And like, no, God, you're, no, stop. 
and the cross is behind us, attempting to shine on all of our issues, but because we think that our problem is too small or it's, it's too intricate, it requires us. And we puff ourselves up, well, look at me, I fixed it. Look at Jesus, look, Jesus, I didn't even need that. Look, Jesus, I did it, I did it, I did it. And then it breaks. And then God's like, <laughs> and they're like, God, no, 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 no. You know what, I realized what I did last time. I didn't glue it properly, I used duct tape. So God, this time, I got this. And we fix it, and it's fine, and it's fine, and it's fine, and it's fine, and then it breaks. And God's like, he's standing there, he's, he's watching us, he's like, you sure you got this? Yeah, just one more try, one more try, one more try. And it breaks, and we do this cyclical thing of attempting to show God that we can do it. When the very existence of Christianity is the fact that we could not do it. So here it is, the application, repent. Turn to God and say, God, you have seen me attempt to eagerly fix my life time and time again. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry because I realized that I put so much effort into making things perfect when the only person who could make life perfect was standing behind me. God, I'm sorry because I put all these things in your place. I have put all these things in your way, and it still didn't work. Turn to Jesus, my friends. Do what I have to do every single day. Jesus, you see the things that are broken in me, the things I can't fix, the things I haven't even attempted to fix. Work on me, Jesus. And that brings us to our final point. If you're taking notes, you can write this down beautifully. The greatest leader fixed everything. You see, Nehemiah points us to somebody who had the ability to fix every single problem. You see, the guy who was standing behind us and is behind the scenes of our lives, and we're trying to fix our stuff, is the same guy who was standing behind the scenes in Nehemiah's time. It's the same God that people couldn't see because they were too busy fixing themselves. It's the same God that we can't see because we're too busy fixing ourselves. So we say, you know, I keep messing up, but God, I got it this time. I keep fumbling the bag, but God, I've got it this time. I keep forgetting my quiet time. I keep forgetting to pray. I keep forgetting the Sabbath. So if I just buckle down a little bit harder, if I fast a little bit more, if I attend church one more time, if I, if I church hop one more time, if I make my way around the Christian merry-go-round of faith one more time, I can fix it. And he stands at the door knocking saying, if you let me in, I can fix it. He's standing at the door every single day. And he says, if you let me in, you can sit down while I fix everything. Because you see, the greatest leader fixed everything. It's already done. In him, all of our efforts are completed. In him, your redemption is completed. In him, the perfection that you desire in life is already attained. And he stands knocking as you try to fix everything that he's already fixed. He stands waiting as we attempt to right everything that he has already made right. Follow Jesus. Nehemiah's name means God comforts. You see, in Nehemiah's name alone, he's pointing to somebody that is already bigger than him. And you see, so God comforting 
isn't God just making you feel better. It's not a pat on the back. The word comfort, we have the word, the, the prefix come and the, and the suffix fort. Fortify. He comes to fortify. He comes to make you strong. In the areas of life where we cannot fix it, God comforts. He comes to fortify so that you can fix it. So that through his strength that he brings, all of the issues of your life can be made right. My friends, he has come so you don't have to lead yourself. You see, a part of the story that I left out intentionally is a part in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 4. Nehemiah gets to the temple, and there's a room in the temple that is set aside for, I for items that are made to worship God. And he gets there, and he gets to the temple, and the person who is Nehemiah's arch nemesis throughout the entire book is living in that room, is living in the room that was set aside for God. And I, I, had, to, I had to hold back on this part of the story because it hit me. What arch nemesis of God have we put in the room that belongs to him? What area of our heart have we put in the space that belongs to God? What is it? Is it our own, is it our own pride? Is that the arch nemesis of God that is sitting in the room of our hearts that belongs to him? What is it? For me, it's me. <laughs> I'm on the throne that he desires to occupy. In my own life, I have lifted myself up to a place to where Jesus has nowhere to reside. My friends, live from God's divine perspective. His perspective was this. He looked out across humanity and realized that we could fix none of our own issues. And he looked out across humanity and he realized that we could find the solutions to none of the things that were troubling us. So he was like, I'm going to fix it myself. And he sends his only begotten son to deal with the problems that we had. When Nehemiah got back to Jerusalem, he's so upset that he starts fighting people. Literally. Read it. He punches people and he pulls their hair out. He can, he's fighting somebody so hard, he's pulling their hair out. And I sat in my office as I was writing the sermon and I realized that that is how God looks every time we put something in his place in our lives. He looks at us and he wants to pull our hair out because of his righteousness. There's a part of the story of Jesus that is interesting. As they're getting ready to crucify him and they beat him, Isaiah alludes to the fact that they pull his beard out. You see, the very thing that God wanted to do to us because of our sin, he does to his son so that we could escape scot-free. Here is the reason I'm before all of you today. Put Jesus on the throne. The pandemic has done a lot. It's caused us to shift priorities. It's caused us to stop attending here and to start attending there. And for a lot of us, the pandemic has unfortunately given us an excuse to take him off the throne of our hearts. If you are here today and you're wondering and you're battling and you're saying, Malik, I don't really know, I don't really know, put him on the throne of your heart. If you've wandered away, let me remind you of a GPS system. A good one, not the one on Apple devices, but a good GPS system. When you lose your way, it doesn't turn off. It doesn't blow up. It doesn't yell at you. It recalculates. My GPS, it doesn't even say recalculating. 
It just adjusts the route to get me to my destination. If you have veered off course, if you have wandered away from where you think you should be, God has already recalculated the route. He's not yelling at you. He's not upset with you. Just like the GPS, all he's saying is, the destination I have you going to is fixed. You might have to take a detour, but you're still going to get there. Today, if you're watching online, if you are in this room today, he's recalculated your destination. And you can still get there. All you have to do is keep going. Don't give up. Don't assume that you've, that you've taken him off your heart for too long and he doesn't want to get back. He wants to be the Lord of every part of your life. Let Jesus work. Give up. You cannot fix it. You cannot fix it. He's already done the work. He's fixed it for you. The relationship, he's fixed it for you. Your family, he's fixed it for you. Your finances, he's fixed it for you. Let him be God in your life. You cannot make the mountains move. You cannot part the seas. But through him and with him, everything in life makes sense. My ankle was hurting this morning and I sprained it, but somehow I want you to recognize this thing today. He is here for you. If you let him in, if you let him fix it, he will move, he will shake, he will turn your, he will turn your darkest nights into sunshine. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son of God has come to make your life new. Let him work. If you feel this today in the same way that I feel it, I invite you to partake a posture of prayer. If that is on your knees for you, that is fine. If that is standing up for you, that is fine. I too shall take a knee. And as the worship team plays, I invite you to pray. I invite you to look at the areas of your life that God has been removed from the throne. And whether it's your busyness, whether it's your pride, whether it is a sin, lay it before him. He is recalculating your life. And he desires to make you new.
you joined us online, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you perfect peace. God bless you. See you soon.